0: Uh, let's bow as we get ready to open. We're going to be in Genesis chapter eight. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to share your word and guide and lead us in what we're looking at, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter eight, starting at verse 15. And God spoke to Noah, saying, "Go forth from of the ark. You and your wife and your son and your son's wives with you." bring forth with you every living thing that was in with you of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing and every fowl and whatsoever creeped upon the earth after their kind went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and he took from every clean beast And every clean fowl, and every, and offered burnt offerings unto the Lord. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease." So we've had Noah, he's been on the ark with his family, with all those animals for one year and 10 days. Now, I don't know if you've ever realized how long they spent on that boat with all those animals needing to be fed and watered and cleaned up after and take care of themselves for a year and a half. Now, you you might think, well, what did they do all that time? Well, if you've ever been on a farm, you know that they were busy. (laughs) Right, and I've only spent short periods of time on a farm, and I could not picture living the life of a farmer. <laughs> they got to live the life of a husbandman for a year and ten days. And God finally, and it was God who said, go forth. And we've, we've been looking at the fact that he sent the birds out. The birds went, went to found it, and one of them finally you know, came back with the, the branch of an olive tree that had survived and started starting budding back up. And then this last bird never came back. <laughs> So he knew that he knew that there was land out there for you know sufficient for the bird to, to nest and then he still waited for God to say go. One of the things that we get in trouble with so often is we like to get ahead of God. <laughs> God I think this is where I'm supposed to go and I'm going to go do what I think is right. And you know what's really funny is even if it's what God wants us to do sometimes we get ahead of them. God's desire was for them to leave the boat. He made them wait. What was he waiting for? Probably for the land to dry up enough for them to be able to walk on it to begin with. If you've ever been around something that is flooded, you know, and if it's a major flood and been there for a while, days afterwards, it's still muddy and hard to get around with. This flood had lasted for six to seven months before it started decreasing. Okay, so. This land had been soaked. So, if they had gotten out of the ark the day that it was come aground, they'd have been walking around in ankle to knee deep mud. And it would have been miserable. And God told them, wait. It is a wonderful thing when we take and we pray and ask God what we should do. And I've had people go, Well, should you pray about everything? Yes. Now, uh, we're told that we are to do things God's way. you know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on to your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. And too many times we trust our own way. God, I know this really it's going to be good. This is really good, God. It is going, going to reach the gospel. And God says, it's not time. But we're not listening because we are so stuck that we know the answer. You know, and we got to be careful about that. It is easy to go out and do what looks like good and godly and righteous things and find out that God wasn't pushing us that way and step back and say, God, you know, oh, it was that person who was supposed to do it. And I've seen this happen even in churches where somebody will step up and do something because something has to be done. It's an amazing thing. If, when somebody talks to me and says, well, I just want to do it because it has to be done, I'll tell them I don't want you doing it. I want people doing what God has called you to do. If he's called you to be the cleaner of the church, praise God, you're the cleaner of the church. If he's called you to be the groundskeeper, you know, we need all those positions. Those are just as godly an action as standing up here and preaching or teaching in the Sunday school or passing out tracts. If God has called you to do something, do it. If you're a mechanically inclined person and you can keep the stuff up in the church, do it. That's a, that's a gift from God because I definitely can't do that. You don't want me fixing things. <laughs> all right? They might work for a short period of time, but they're not going to work a long time. And I've told people, if you want two boards nailed together, I'm not the person to nail them together. I'll put nails in them, but they won't be lined up. They won't be cut right. They won't, they won't stand up for long. You know, so I recognize that some of those things are spiritual gifts. What is your spiritual gift? Don't look down on anything that God has given you. If you're somebody that can sing and you want to sing, be my guest, sing. If you're want, if you somebody that can teach, teach. If you're somebody who's good with your hands and you're able to get things done, praise God, we need all kinds of people like that. You know, we need each gift that's out there because everybody has a different skill. Noah built a boat. It kind of tells us that before that he had some carpentry skills <laughs> to build a boat. He had to have some carpentry skills. God did not pick up a stonemason to build the ark. Now, can you imagine an ark made out of stone? (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't have lasted very long. (laughs) He had him called, and he says, now is the time to go out. And, you know, the interesting thing here is the first thing Noah did when he came out, he built an altar, and he offered sacrifices. And note that I said sacrifices because for many years I had not noticed that he gave sacrifices. It said he gave one of every kind of clean animal. Now remember way back in the beginning he sent two of every animal and seven pairs of every clean animal. And the clean animals were used for sacrifice. So Noah gets off the boat and his first thing to do is give thanks to God. How often do we forget to tell God, thank you for the stuff that comes in our life? I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty often. You know, sort of forgetting to tell God, thank you. You know, Thank you. We get up in the morning. Thank you, God, you've given me another day to, to minister for you. Get it through the day. Thank you, God, you've given me another day to minister to you. Thank you for the chance to rest. You know, we have so many blessings in America that we don't even count most of our blessings as blessings. Now, oh, it's an amazing thing for here in America, for the most part, we have three meals a day. And even for those people who are saying they're starving to death with their two meals a day, they're eating more than most people in the world eat. How do I know? Because I've been in other parts of the world. And I've seen how little some places eat. The fact that many of them don't have big buildings over their roof. They might feel happy if they had a tin, tin shed or a lean-to. We have great blessings here in America, and we need to be thankful to God that we're American. <laughs> now he might tell us to go someplace else. He might put you in a tin shed someplace else at some point in time. Be thankful for that as well. You know, it's an amazing thing that God gives us our needs, you know, and unfortunately here in America we think needs are a lot bigger than most places do. He promises us that he's going to give us food. He promises us shelter. He promises us protection. We need to be able to say, God, thank you. If I have much, as Paul said, I've learned to be thankful in much, and I've learned to be thankful in little. If you can't be thankful in little, God's definitely not going to give you much because you're not going to be thankful for much. And I've seen this over the years. People that aren't thankful It doesn't matter whether they have nothing or they have an overabundance they're not going to be thankful and if you're thankful in all things you're going to be thankful no matter what God gives your way and this is important in everything give thanks for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you it does not say in most things it doesn't say in a lot of things in all things and you go, well, you know, my, my car was totally blown up yesterday. I should be thankful for it. Yes, you weren't in it. Something to be thankful for. Maybe God's got another car for you out there. Maybe he decided you don't need a car. <laughs> hard to imagine in America, hard to imagine here in chloride not needing a car. Uh, we in America love our cars, period. No matter wh- whether you're in the city or not, we love our cars. But, you know, God could say, I want you to learn to trust me. I spent time with no cars in cities. <laughs> I wouldn't want to stay, be without a car here in Mojave County. But you know, what do we do? We, we praise God and say, God, thank you. God, thank you for what you have given me, whatever that might be. Now, Sometimes we might not like what he gives us. I remember when we were a young family and we were poor and the only meat that we could afford was liver. We had liver about four times a week. And we splurged with a piece of chicken or something once in a while. My oldest son to this day will not eat liver. (laughs) Uh, Because he got tired of it. But you know what? We had something. And it was something to be thankful for. What if he gave you just rice and beans? We need to be thankful for it. God didn't tell us we were going to feast on on steak and lobster every night. He just said, I'm going to provide your needs and we need to be able to keep this mind. Noah was thankful. Now was he thankful just because he got off that ark and all the animals now could take care of themselves? Maybe. But you know put yourself in his place. He left a world with millions or billions of people inhabiting it. Buildings everywhere he looks there's buildings and and people living. He comes off the boat and it's empty. The trees have barely started growing in in the time that it's happened. Remember last week we talked about the olive trees the first year grow about a a foot to two feet. You know other trees are the same way they grow the first couple years a couple feet. He's gotten off the boat trees are only a foot to two feet tall. Grass wherever the grass is growing. No buildings no people. Can you imagine how you would feel if that was the case? God I'm thankful you saved me, but this is an entirely different world that I've stepped out into, stepped back out into. Back to being dependent upon him. He knew what he had lost. This is a big deal and I want to put you in his place. He's getting off this boat, and it is a new, totally different world. And the first thing he does is offer multiple sacrifices to God for thanksgiving. And knowing that God had promised. God has promised. Because he's going to tell them, be fruitful and multiply. He's telling the animals, be fruitful and multiply. He's repeating Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply. He told each of the animals when they were created, "Be fruitful and multiply." He told Adam and Eve, "Be fruitful and multiply." In this chapter, so far, he's only told it to the animals. We'll have to go to the next chapter for him to tell people to. But he says, "Be fruitful and multiply." It's a pretty amazing thing when God tells us to do something; He still expects that to be happening. Be fruitful and multiply for us as Christians. We're to be fruitful and make other Christians get out and testify and give the gospel message and bring other people to Christ he also has it even for the world and what does Satan come along and do oh you don't need kids kids are a pain in the neck it's an amazing thing as I talk to so many young people that there are so many kids out there that don't believe that children are are valuable to their marriage and we're hearing, even from those who started up in the 60s and 70s that decided not to go that, that they're lonely now that they're older and they want kids. You know, they want them for the wrong reasons. They want their kids to take care of them. But, but that's part of what God has set up for us. Parents take care of their kids, and then kids take care of their parents in their old age. And in our world, we have such selfishness going on. You know, immediately mom and dad need help, put them in a nursing home. Out of sight, out of mind, they're they're gone. they yeah, the nursing home will take care of them. You get get uh, people who are starting to have families, so and so well this family this kid's gonna be a nuisance to our life, let's uh, get rid of them, abort them. They won't call it a kid, they'll call it a blob of tissue. You know, we're just gonna get rid of it because it'll interfere our life. I won't be able to go on my trips, I won't be able to go out to eat, I won't be able to to do the buy the things I want. Selfishness and pride are what rule in this world. Unfortunately, it rules in most of our lives as well, and I'm just as guilty of, of the same things. It's part of our sin nature. Putting ourselves first in everything. If you do conflict resolution with people, it's an amazing thing to hear both stories and find out each person looks good in the story. Now, they just had a knockdown, drag out argument and fight, and both of them are neither one of them were the reason for the fight. Now, but you know, it's so important that at the center of all the bad things that happen to us is our selfish pride. I do things that make me look good, or at least I think they make me look good. I do things that make me feel good. Why do people have trouble in marriages? It's because you have two parties trying to make themselves feel good and not serving the other. And this is why in Christianity, God tells us we're to exhort one another. We're to build one another up. I'm to look to the needs of others before myself. And you know the great advantage of that, and this' is not to get too far off, but it's because its spiritual, but the great advantage is, if I'm trying to help 15 people and 15 people are trying to help me, what is the better deal? <laughs> I can help myself, or I can have 15 people helping me by helping them. The body helps itself. And that's why we're, we're described as a body of Christ. When you cut your finger, everything in the body gears toward helping that cut area. The rest of the body's blood flow flow, slows down and it sends more blood to the cut. It sends healing to the cut. It sends help to the cut. And the rest of the body suffers for a period of time while it is helping. If we started really looking at helping one another, even to our own hurt temporarily, to help somebody else. It's important. And we need that type of help. And it's wonderful when the body works that way. And we're helping one another, and we're lifting one another up. And if I don't care about my needs, then there's other... It's an amazing thing. You know how many times have you seen somebody care more about you than you care about that, yourself? You know, there's an old book, and I don't really recommend it, but the guy says that if you don't, if you don't worry for yourself, God will send warriors for you. Yeah, you know, I've had that happen. I've had more people worry about me at times than, than I'm going quit worrying about me Well, I'm just got to make sure you're okay. I'm going everything's fine you know, but you know it is really interesting how many times have you been having a place of need and somebody just shows up Just shows up to help They're not asking for anything. They're just showing up. They they help you get your car started They help you they give you money for something. They take you someplace they they just step in and they're there to help. Are you repaying that same type of thing? Are you looking for people that you can help and that you can build up and that you can edify? It's a totally different mindset for a Christian if we're living in Christ. I want to help especially fellow Christians but you know it should go beyond the body of Christ. It should go out to help others. Why? Because Jesus said if you fed Those that are hungry, you fed me. If you've clothed those that needed clothing, you've clothed me. We reach out, and we show the love of Jesus to people by helping them. There are people that are just amazed when they come and get a food box at our church and go, Well, you know, what do you need from this? Nothing. It's us reaching out to you. Now, when I make a food box, I'll usually stick a track or something in it just, just because. But, you know, there's no strings attached to our food boxes. There's no strings attached. You know, worked in a church that had a benevolence fund, and people go, well, if you just help me, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you back. Well, nobody ever paid us back. Well, I can't say no one. Very few people ever paid us back, but our, our standard answer was we're not a bank. We're not looking. We're just here to help and reach out. If you want to give back to the church, that's fine, but we're not putting any strings on our help. The world puts strings on their help. I'm going to help you as long as I can get something back. You know, I'm going to invite you to dinner because I know you have a nice house and you're, you're a pretty good cook, and you'll invite me to dinner at some place in the future. How many times do we invite somebody to eat that we know is no way they're ever going to be able to invite us to dinner? You know, we help them fix something that we know there's no way they'll ever be able to help pay back on it. And that's just showing the love of God to people and reaching out. You know, and I say we know, I mean, God can do miracles and and things may change. But, you know, from the human point of view, we know this person is never going to pay back. And that's told us in scriptures. Why do you invite the person who's going to invite you to dinner and leave the poor outside? We, as Christians, need to step forward, be thankful for God gives us and share. When we talk, we talk about tithes and offerings in this church, and we believe in the tithe belonging to God, but you know, He also has the offerings that go out to others. The times when we just reach out and help somebody, we give them, you know, a cooked. And it happens, you know, when somebody has somebody pass away, people and friends will bring food and stuff. They'll bring comfort to these people. We need to keep our eyes open for who needs help, who needs comfort and be thankful for God, to God for all of these things. God waited long enough for them to be able to step out onto dry land with trees growing and probably grass growing. If the trees are growing, grass has been growing for a while before that. The animals now have food to eat as they come off the ark. And Noah gives thanks. And God smelled the offering and said, I will not destroy or curse the ground again. Now, most of us know what's going to happen in the next chapter where he says, I'm not going to destroy the world by a flood. But you know, he said, I'm not going to curse the ground again. That should remember for us, way back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the ground, and they no longer got the abundance of the crop. And then the next time he cursed the ground was when Cain killed his brother and said, for you, Cain, the ground is cursed. Now Cain's got a double curse on the ground. He probably couldn't grow, a, grow anything. He's like me. He couldn't grow anything probably, which is a big deal because he was a farmer. Now the ground is cursed doubly for him. And now when it come off the ark, God says, I will not curse the ground. Now we're still under the fallen nature, we're still under the curse, we still end up with thorns and thistles, but God is saying, the earth will provide. The earth will provide like it hadn't been before. And we need to look at this and say, God, thank you for your blessings. And God looked at Noah's thankfulness and responded. Do you realize when we're thankful for God, God responds. God responds to us. And it's a pretty amazing thing, and we all know what it's like if you've ever given somebody and not had them say thank you or at least show some appreciation, you can know how God feels most of the time, when he gives and gives and gives and people do not say thank you. It's something we have to learn because, again, we are selfish. We get a gift, we think, oh, well, I deserved it. And we don't think about saying thank you so often. And if we do, it might be just the perfunctory. mom and dad taught me to say thank you, so I'm going to tell you thank you. You know, I've always hated those words when parents say, well, well, go tell them you're sorry or go tell them you're thank you. And the kid goes, sorry, thank you. And it's like, why waste your time? You know, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to discipline them into to true feelings to go along behind it. But, you know, we need to be truly thankful for the stuff we get from God. We need to truly be sorry for our sins before God. Not just say the words. And this is what we've talked about when people will ask God to come into your heart. Lord, I I know I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Come into my life. Right words. But just saying those words aren't abracadabra, you're saved. They have to be believed and be honest. God, I am a sinner. And that has to be recognized. The first step of getting saved is to recognize that you are a sinner. Then, I deserve punishment. Have you ever been punished when you didn't think you deserved it? I got lots of people out to prison. I don't, none of them think they deserve being punished because even though they were bad people, they usually got sent to prison for something they didn't do. All right? Well, I'm going, so it's easy. Well, how about all the things you did that you should have gotten to prison and you didn't get done? Now, let's just look at those ones. You know, but, you know, we go and we go, God, I deserve my punishment. And Jesus died on the cross for it. Come in and save me and mean those words. Otherwise, they're just words. And Jesus said on the last day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they list a whole bunch of righteous religious activities. And Jesus tells them, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because I said the right words. They did the right things, but they did not understand and know God in the process and this is why when you know God you know that you know him there's not a question in my mind that I know God there's not a question in my mind that he has changed my life drastically in the 50 years that I've walked with him I know that I know him you will know that you know him it's just like if you have a best friend there's nobody in the world is going to convince you that you don't know your best friend I, this has been my best friend since I was 10 years old. Now I have no idea what that's like. I've never lived. But you know, <laughs> this has been my best friend forever. I know them. Well, you don't really know them. You don't even know who they are. You know, if you know God, you know you know him. And nobody's going to convince you that you don't know him, including Satan. And Satan's going to attack you a lot, trying to make you think that you don't know God and that he doesn't know you. And this is important for us to step out and say, God, I believe in you. Why? Because when we become a Christian, we become a new creation in Christ. And I firmly believe, and I've said this, if you've been saved, there should be at least one thing in your life that you can say, this changed the day I got saved. All right? There should be something in your life that made you a new creation that says, I know that he came in and made my change. Now, does he make us perfect overnight? I wish, but he doesn't. But he'll take something big out of your life. For many people, it's cravings for alcohol or drugs or, or some sin. It might be a character flaw. You may be a liar and he changes that lying tongue and makes convicts you and you can't, can't speak a lie. Maybe you are an angry person and he takes away that anger. Maybe you're like the blind man who he gave sight to. Who, what is changed? How are we changed when God comes into our life? Because he will come in and change us. And then we keep growing with him every, well, every day, but we usually don't recognize a day-to-day change. We usually have to look back and say, over a month, over a year, over a decade, and we look back and say, wow, I am different. The things I used to do, I don't even want to do anymore, and now there's new things that God is telling me not to do but I don't do a lot of the things that I thought I would never give up. And I know many in this room know exactly what that's all about. Where you're looking back and say, I never thought I'd give that that up, whatever that is. (laughs) And God has taken it out of your life and changed you. Our job as Christians are to go out and share what God is doing for us. Share your testimony with people. Well, how did Paul minister most of the time? If you read through the book of Acts and, other, and, and, his, and his letters, you see him share the Damascus experience over and over and over again. He's going, This is what God did to me. I was, riding, I was riding on a horse to Damascus, and God showed up in a blinding light, knocked me off the horse and said, you know, said, follow me. <laughs> you know, and he'd give him the whole story. I think there's five places in the New Testament where Paul gives his testimony over and over again. How did you get saved? Share that with people. I got saved when I went forward after knowing that I was a sinner. And I went forward and I got saved. And my life was changed overnight. At least in one big area. God took a temper away from me. Before I was saved, I was in fights every day. After I got saved, very rare. I'm not going to say I didn't fight at all, but very rare. Uh, He took a temper away from me what did he take out of your life how did he change you share with people let people know your testimony and that God loves them enough to do the same for them because that's our job if if he didn't want us here sharing the gospel with others as soon as you get saved you go to heaven because the only reason we're here is to share the gospel because ultimately we're going to heaven but the question is, how would anybody share the gospel if we went straight to heaven after we got saved? He keeps us here to share the good news of God's love. And we're expected to do that. And as we get closer and closer to the end times, and we are getting close to the end times, Satan is moving in a big way in the world. We're seeing the move to one to one world government that the Revelation talks about. We're seeing the move away from cash to the book of Revelation talks about we're seeing the move to more and more people doing what is right in their own eyes and calling good evil and evil good how close are we I don't know we are a lot closer than we have been since the beginning since the days of Noah and it's getting evil God can return any moment and take us home I'm looking forward to that day I really am But I want my friends and my relatives with me when that happens. Share with your friends and your loved ones. Now, can you force them to turn to God? No. But if there is anybody in your family that you have not shared the gospel with yet, share it with them. I don't mean you have to share it with them every single time you see them because then they might not want to see you anymore. They probably won't want to see you again. But the worst thing you want to have is to see them standing at the white throne judgment knowing that you never told them about Jesus. Now, they won't be without excuse. God says no one is without excuse. They will all have been told by someone the gospel message. But you know, if you really love somebody, you should share the gospel message with them. Because if you're not, you're really saying, you're not. I don't love you enough to keep you out of hell. And hell is a place we don't want anybody to go. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. You all know I have gout really bad. I don't even wish gout pain on people. And gout is not hell. (laughs) Okay. It feels like it when you're in the middle of it. But it's not. And I wouldn't even wish that pain on somebody. We need to share the gospel with people to keep them from going to hell. And if they reject us, that's, they've rejected God, it's not the end of the world, but we want to be able to stand with a clear conscience. I cannot say like Paul, I am guilty of no man, I'm not guilty of any man's blood. I've got people that I know I should have shared with over the years. Paul was an evangelist. He shared with everybody and anybody. You know, uh, and we think about that. When he was two years in Rome, so many of those soldiers that were chained to him for four hours at a time got saved because they were a captive audience. <laughs> And Paul did not stop talking about the gospel message in front of them. You know. How would you like I mean, there are people that don't like us talking about the gospel? What if they were stuck with us for hours at a time? It's fun sometimes to do play games like that when somebody's stuck in the same room as you are and just talk about God? Talk about how good God is, talk about how good how good it was that He died for our sins. You know, it is it is a fun thing to do. Maybe maybe kind of irritating, but that's okay. It's fun. <laughs> And Paul, I think, took a, kind of a perverse joy in this. I'm going to give you the gospel. You're going to hear the gospel for four hours. And you know what? In four hours, I'm going to have a new person to speak to for four hours. Do we really look at people that way? Are we looking forward to being able to share the gospel with people? Or are we afraid to speak the gospel? Afraid that somebody's going to make fun of us, not like us, whatever it might be. We have to go out and reach out to people with the gospel message because the alternative is they'll go to hell. And again, God desires no one to go to hell. He'll give them what they ask for. Remember, God does not send people to hell. He gives them what they wanted. When they reject Jesus Christ, he gives them what he wants, life without Christ. We do not want to see anybody go to hell, hopefully. I don't. I have the feeling of God. I want everybody to go to heaven. I don't care how they get there, as long as it's through Jesus Christ. I don't care how strong they are with God. Accept Christ, and He will change your life. And it is very important for us to understand that, you know, I'm not one, I didn't, you know, it used to be a big thing just give Jesus a try. No. But, you know, if you do challenge Him, if you mean it in your heart and say, God, if you are real, I want you to change my life, He'll do it if you mean it and you'll be saved just don't play games you know I've got my fire insurance I said my prayer that's not gonna work you have to mean what you're saying and turn your life over to God Lord we just thank you for this day we thank you for this opportunity we have to keep you. Lord, keep us thankful Lord keep us the opportunities to share with the lost world Lord if there's anybody listening to this message anywhere around the world today or Through the weeks to come if they don't know you we ask that today they will decide that you're god and you are the one they need and they will just simply say god i'm a sinner i believe that i deserve punishment jesus come into my life and save me and truly mean it and then find a christian and find a good church to go to and we just thank you for all that you've done in jesus name amen listening friends where will you be when you die we ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him lord i am a sinner please come into my life and save me and make him your lord if you have said that prayer let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet you can contact us at office at chloride dot com or even pastor at chloride dot com or you can just send us a regular letter at chloride baptist church p.o box 65 chloride arizona 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.